0: Well, good day. Welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Pod Medic, and I'm excited to be back with you for another episode this week. We've um, actually got some weather that touched on me and my family personally to talk about this week, and we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But um, before we get to that, we have to bring in my great co-host, Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam, how are you this week? We're good. I mean, I feel guilty because
1: Colorado's been mild weather and nothing insane going on. So I, (laughs) as opposed to the rest of the country, what you're going to talk about. uh, We got our weather squatch, Kyle, and also Dan DePod one with us, which is good because we're going to talk about weather and Dr. Joe. And I'm going to start there because we were chatting about the fire in Hawaii, which I just found out one of my friend's sons lost his condo. And she pretty much says, that city's not coming back. There's not enough of it left. But Joe, talk about what you were telling us earlier about that.
2: Yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, based on the uh, the devastation in that part of Hawaii, including a, a pretty substantial loss of communication infrastructure and all that sort of stuff, uh, they, uh, the uh, federal urban search and rescue system is deploying some assets down there. Uh, my team is uh, uh, in route or getting in route pretty soon, and uh, they're uh, sending some additional search and rescue capabilities, but a, a particular emphasis on uh, uh, the canine aspect uh, to really help get in there and try to finish the search. I, I think the, the number of fatalities is up over 50 now. Uh, and not a really good sense of how many folks maybe are still missing or unaccounted for. So, uh, I, I think the focus here is to really get some assets in there so we can uh, we can try to figure out what is uh, what's going on and uh, get a little bit better uh, information on the situation.
1: Well, Kyle or Dan, I don't have a sense of how prepared. Hawaii is for something like this. We we rarely see it. I mean, it happens in California and elsewhere, but you know, I, I gotta wonder how all of those people got trapped. Um, do they not? You know, is their level of readiness very different than it might be from California or someplace that has wildfires regularly?
3: Well, Sam, uh, from my talking to uh, several colleagues that uh, live and work in Hawaii and have a family over on on the island of Maui that was impacted by this Um, Hawaii and and the islands out there they do get uh, brush fires very frequently right it's a common occurrence out there and right typically they're they're small they're relatively contained they don't spread uh, in the wild out of control the explosive fire growth like we typically uh, might expect here within the very mountainous areas of the western United States but uh, with the addition of the winds from the environment surrounding Hurricane Dora that passed to the south of the Hawaiian Islands, that really helped to drive the, these brush fires to to that extreme fire behavior level, um, including... Uh, throwing sparks and embers, so spotting as we call it, across the the fire line far out ahead. And once that began impacting the built environment in Lahaina and those areas along the coast, uh, once once structure started on fire, the flames just spread from structure to structure, uh, right across the streets. And it moved so fast that uh, there's truly no level of preparedness I feel that could really prepare someone. Right? It's one of those nightmare scenarios that we could perhaps dream of and imagine. But uh, to see it and live it in real life, uh, the survivor stories are absolutely incredible to hear what they had to do just to survive and get out with the clothes on their back.
1: Yeah, I'll have to do some more research on that. Dan, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I think that was a good explanation from, from Kyle there about the risk there in, in Hawaii and what what is typical. And obviously, this is a very um, unusual event there, really a tragic situation. Um, I did see some information, too, that there's been a Significant spread of uh, non-native vegetation um, in Hawaii in recent years. Also, uh, a trend towards hotter and drier weather. Um, I believe they had a wetter um, earlier part of the year, and then it's been dry recently uh, in that area. And that can cause issues where you have uh, increased fuel load, so you have more vegetation to burn that has then dried out, uh, which is definitely um, troublesome and and really help to uh, make these fires, uh, you know, potentially worse than they would have been otherwise. And I think the, um, there's been a lot of discussion about hurricane door, which was South of Hawaii at the time of these fires, um, were occurring, um, in the different people I follow, um, who, are who are fairly, uh, knowledgeable about these types of things. It looks like door may have played a slight role in it, but I think a lot of the cause of the winds in this case was actually from a significantly uh sort of a uh unusually strong area of high pressure to the north of Hawaii and um sort of the difference there in pressure between Dora and the high pressure to the north uh, that, that caused us the area of strong winds along and uh across the islands of Hawaii so Dora played a little bit of a role but it's you know important to note that Dora was well south of the islands and the winds weren't necessarily associated with the storm
1: well I've been to uh Hawaii once, and strangely enough it was trained ski patrollers, go figure. But I get from what I understand, the weather has always been pretty much, you know, in a in a in a narrow band of I don't know, eighty something degrees or whatever. So has it been getting hotter then?
4: I can't say I looked at that recently about whether it's been getting Hotter, but I mean that's generally what I've uh, what I've seen is is that is that the reports generally that the climate has trended towards hotter and drier uh, in recent years. Although I can't say I've looked at that in detail.
1: Hmm, that'd be interesting because you know they're famous for having a lot of rain too. Any thoughts on that, Joe?
2: Sorry, guys, mute button again. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a good sense of how much climate has added here. Uh, clearly, these were very fast-moving fires. You have to assume, just like in uh, California and other places in the continental U.S., that that was uh, a big part of uh, you know what uh, flamed the fire here to some extent or fanned the fire a bit.
1: Well, if you go there, we'll get a lot more info from you you know from your boots on the ground perspective Jamie thoughts
0: well just some of the accounts i've read are, are you know lead back to what Kyle and Dan both talked about the harrowing nature of the fire and just moving so fast that people by the time people heard alarms it was almost too late to evacuate um uh one one, several different people talked about how they opened the door to leave, and there was already flames coming at them from, you know, the, the fire from across the street. And they, was numerous people, evacuated into the ocean um, from the town. Um, that they had to be rescued at sea by the Coast Guard because there was no safe place to be on land. Um, and if you think about how drastic that type of evacuation must be, it, and how many people might still be trapped, which is why the IST has been activated, and and they're bringing in search dogs and search um, personnel to uh, try to search, start searching the re- the ruins of this town.
1: Oh well. Um... I think that's what I would do if it was a choice between water or fire not a good choice at all but there you go well i wonder how many people ended up drowning i it's it's a strange scenario um so let's go let's go to our east coast weather and Jamie uh you can start out with that because you had a close call with your family
0: well, I mean, I, uh, my, the hometown I grew up in Westminster, Maryland actually made national news. Uh, if anyone saw the recent storms that struck the mid Atlantic and the, the highway with the line of telephone poles blown down straight across the highway in a line that stretched more than a quarter mile, um, that was my, that was my hometown and my mother lives one road over from that highway, um with my sisters and uh, they uh, were without power for several days. They finally got power back um, early this morning. Um, And it was, um, I'm I'm amazed they got power back that quickly, to be honest with you. Those are the high voltage wires that serve that whole section of town for my knowledge. Um, But I'd love to hear from Dan or or Kyle um, about this particular line of storms because we knew it was coming. We got plenty of warnings, for severe weather, severe winds and everything. I mean, this was v- well documented. Um, so it seems like this storm performed exactly as people expected it to. Is that correct, Dan? Yeah. Um, it's definitely, a, I would call it a very unusual event for
4: August. Um, you know, from an atmospheric setup, um, taking a look at this late last week before the event occurred. Um, and this was the event on Monday in, uh, in, uh, not just the D.C. area, but a lot of the eastern, third of the country, really from New York State, where they had damaging winds and tornadoes all the way down into southern Georgia, pretty expansive area of damaging wind reports. In fact, there was uh, the uh, Storm Prediction Center, the uh, government Storm Prediction Center notes 643 wind reports, uh, damaging wind reports from Monday, which is a very, very active day. And it's very unusual for August. I, I don't have a good handle on the context, but just sort of anecdotally, that's a Pretty unusual August day, and the the weather pattern was more indicative, or sort of what you'd expect to see in late May or early June, really. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty uh, potent uh, storm system that moved through the eastern third of the country on Monday, and you had a uh, plentiful warmth and uh, and uh, moisture ahead of it, and um, colder air aloft. You got that that creates that instability, and the conditions were really just ripe for a lot of. Uh, severe thunderstorms. And uh, the the swaths of damaging winds were were really wide. I mean, across most of Maryland, northern Virginia, and then a secondary area in North Carolina, South Carolina, and northern Georgia. Uh, we had even had a tornado warning here in uh, central Pennsylvania, although we did not have any confirmed tornadoes. We did have some damage in the reports here in the middle of Pennsylvania. So a very active day. Uh, it's been an, it's sort of an unusual weather pattern, I would say, overall the last couple of weeks with a lot of these uh what I would call sort of out of the norm storm systems for early August are more typical of the uh springtime.
1: Yeah, it's it almost sounds like hurricane weather. <laughs> I don't guess you have too many hurricanes where you are, Jamie.
0: <laughs> well, we get a few now and again that blow up the coast, um and, and come in, you know, on this part. Usually they impact uh the the, um, the Carolinas and Virginia before they get to Maryland. But we are known to have hurricane force winds that come up the coast this far and beyond um, Sandy is one that went beyond us up into New Jersey and New York. Um, so it's certainly possible to have this kind of weather here, but um, we were, you know, they were, they were predicting hurricane force winds. And from everything I can see that that certainly happened in, in Westminster and, and in other areas around the state where, uh, high winds were encountered. Um, it's, uh, it, like Dan said, it's unusual, but, um, I, I, I applaud state emergency officials and local weather, um, services that all alerted us. Um, uh, my AccuWeather app went off several times to alert us to severe weather that day. Um, and, uh, look, and where I live in the Eastern part of the state, it was not so bad. Um, we got a pretty nice thunderstorm blow through and, uh, some high winds for about five minutes and then it cleared out and, uh, we just had rain. So, uh, it, it's just one of those things. I think it was the luck of the draw, um, or the unluck of the draw as it were.
1: Well, just as an aside, Jamie, I, I grew up in Westminster, California, (laughs) just saying, not that there's a
0: connection there. Yeah, there's always connection, Sam. That's a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, six degrees of separation or something. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts on, on that phenomena?
3: Well, I will say, Sam, that uh, I agree with Jamie. It, there was a lot of proactive messaging and communication, not just from you know state and local officials, but from our, our media partners as well, really helping to... Uh, you know, communicate what the what the threat is, what what may be coming, and also the timing, and everything of it as well. And so, uh, one of the more uh, unusual things that folks may have experienced uh, that were along certain parts of these uh, lines of thunderstorms that rolled through uh, in in the Northeast when it passed through was a uh, a wireless emergency alert on their cell phones. Uh, which typically you'd expect for like tornado warnings, things of that nature. But um, just a few couple years ago, the National Weather Service in conjunction with FEMA, as well as the Federal Communications Commission and others, they they work to actually now include uh, severe thunderstorm warnings that have a damage threat tag of, uh, let's see, of uh, destructive on them will also trigger wireless emergency alerts. And there's some specific criteria for that where a, a forecaster for the local weather service office, either there's reports of or they expect that that uh, thunderstorm would produce uh, hail that's baseball size, so two and three quarter inches or larger uh, or, or and or 80 mile an hour winds or greater, right? So that's now, right, approaching, you know, hurt, or excuse me, like tornado strength winds that you can see, but now it's not confined to just that small, you know, swirling column of air that's now across a huge swath that's going to put pressure and a lot of stress on, and strain on infrastructure and would produce the impacts like we saw with those lines of power poles being blown down uh, across the roadway. And it really reminded me of growing up in West Michigan, where we had these big lines of storms come from Wisconsin, cross Lake Michigan, and then impact along the shoreline. And we'd see similar impacts when those roared ashore where we'd have whole lines of power poles along uh, rural highways uh, that were toppled over and and blocked access and took out power for quite a couple of days. So um, really, really dynamic event as it unfolded. And I I hope that it also helped to drive discussion and and generate uh, some conversation among folks as to, Hey, let's think about not just right. And focus on the storm itself, but let's think about what impacts we could receive from the storm, like being, you know, without power, not being able to use our normal routes of navigation or or transit and thinking of right. What else could cause this and how we can maybe work around it and think through it now and talk through it as a family, as a community, so that we can be more prepared next time.
0: Yeah. I hear you on that. Um, it's really an unusual thing when you look at that line of telephone poles that you see in the picture, um, it was just pure luck that everyone was stopped at a red light to go down that highway. Um, and so that whole stretch of road that looks empty is only empty because the light happened to be red when the poles started to come down. Um, otherwise there would have been a lot of cars probably hit and trapped under the, under those poles. As it was, I think 30 some people were trapped in in some sections of the roadway um, in vehicles in between poles or under poles and wires that had to wait several hours to get rescued because they had to, of course, de-energize the wires and then rescue the people individually one at a time. Um, so it took some time to get everybody out, but there were no fatalities and no serious injuries. So, um, you know, people did the right thing, stayed in their cars and stayed safe. Good deal. Yeah, um,
1: we get those uh, dangerous thunderstorm warnings like at least three or four times a week, it seems. But the weird thing, and maybe, Kyle, you can lend your ear to this, but we're right like north central. And it seems almost like there's a line that goes down through Colorado, happen to the right of us through, or the left of us but not affect us it's like it stops there it's i don't know if
3: that's the case for the high country but it's kind of weird well we we absolutely got get rocked up here in the high country uh as well but right that that proverbial line we talk about typically right a lot of folks might think about it as you know the i-25 corridor or just yep. a little bit west of and right because we typically see our our weather systems moving from west to east over the mountains and uh, typically those storms they'll they might start over the mountains uh kind of you know drift off to the east and then intensify once they're able to dig into some of the uh the more moisture rich air that's a little bit further east of the mountains themselves as opposed to right up against uh the mountains uh, in a particular case but again every event is different so we can't always rely on right our uh you know these 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 past experiences, right always having to take into consideration yes, you know this is how the storms might typically move or behave but um, it's it's very important to remember as well that um, you know tornadoes, severe storms, you know any type of hazardous weather, right it's you know there there is no like oh well this this town, you know, would make it stop or this it, tornadoes don't cross rivers, right? There's lots of you know misinformation or, or bad information that's out there. Lots of uh, old wives tales, if you will. And so uh, making sure to pay attention to the latest information for each specific weather.
1: Or event. being complacent. Joe, your hand is up.
2: Yeah, I I, I wanted to sort of loop back on a a comment that uh, Jamie made, and and that is uh, related to uh, all these cars being trapped under all these live wires and, uh, you know, the the dangers associated with that, um, you know, getting out and inadvertently touching one of those energized wires, uh, which is I, I think folks natural tendency is I got to get out of this vehicle and yeah. uh, it, it takes a lot of discipline and uh, uh, insight to say we're much safer sitting inside this vehicle on rubber tires than we are getting out and touching one of these uh, live wires, a, a, a huge risk of pretty substantial uh, injury to folks there that was avoided.
0: Yeah. Don't touch any metal <laughs> yeah. in and your car. Luckily anywhere. now the state police barracks is right over the hill there. And they were the, so the state police were on scene within, A minute or two. And, um, you know, I think we're trying to instruct people to stay where they were. So there was some, you know, there was a quick response when they were able to get to them um, pretty quickly, um, which was lucky.
1: Well, how did this affect people in their homes, Jamie?
0: Um, you know, it's funny. My mom and my sister—they had some lawn furniture blow like to the back of the yard and stuff like that. They the the cover came off some of their pool stuff and in their backyard, um, but no damage to the house or roof or anything like that. Uh, you know, I I I wish I you know I wish I had a video of the whole thing coming down because it I it must have been pretty spectacular to be sitting there watching. the the poles come down in a row like that. I mean, to be completely perpendicular across the road and all of them looking like a ladder just going up the road um, is pretty amazing. Um, I I can't imagine, you know, how the winds must have just come in there at just the right angle to cause that to occur. uh, Really is a a freak incident when you think about it in those terms.
1: Yeah, I'm sure somewhere there's a video of that. (laughs) Somebody had their camera on. Uh, Dan, how much of this is, you know, we talk about the weird weather all the time and stuff that doesn't usually happen in this month or that month or doesn't happen at all. How much of this is abnormal and why, if you know the answer to that?
4: I think the why is always the challenging part. And, you know, I think it's important to note, too, that these types of, I would call, you know, things that are sort of unusual or not. Out of season type things. I mean, these have been happening for a long, you know, for, forever, basically, for human history. It just seems anecdotally there's been a lot more of these types of things in recent years uh, that sort of really stand out to me from a from meteorology perspective. Um, you know, I think it's hard to say exactly why. I mean, obviously, climate change does contribute sort of overall to extremes um, without going. Into that in great detail, um, you know, we can't really attribute necessarily specific severe thunderstorms or severe thunderstorm outbreaks to the impacts of climate change. But um, we talked a lot about this a couple of years ago during the um, December of 2021. I think yeah, December 2021 um, significant tornado outbreak in Kentucky and other parts of the Tennessee Valley. Uh, that was a completely, un- basically, not heard of event that it had occurred. It had never really been recorded before, and um, the conditions that allowed that event to occur really were because of the fact you had a lot of moisture much farther north than you typically do in December. Um so you do have a lot of these different things that sort of that, that that have happened that are just a little bit out of the norm. And it's it's been a overall it's been a very active severe weather season. If you look at the statistics of severe uh thunderstorms um so far this summer, um the uh it's the like take just July for instance. Um it's the most severe um, the most severe weather reports in July on record and that record goes back to 2004, not a huge period of record, but still pretty significant. Um, it's just been a very active summer. There's also been a lot of significant hail reports and significant hails, anything over two inches. And there's the, um, most uh, significant hail reports on record this summer. So it's been a very active uh, summer of severe weather, not just in places that typically receive it, but really across the entire, uh, Eastern two thirds of the country.
1: Can you, uh, speculate on what the next couple of months might be like, or is it too early to do that?
4: Well, we typically start to see a fall off in severe weather as we head it through August. It's actually a pretty pretty good drop off usually. And then you get a secondary peak. This is just from a climatological perspective. What, what, what typically happens is you get a secondary but much smaller peak during uh, late October through November. Um, and the reason that occurs is because that's when you start to have a lot of um, really significant... Um, what we call mid-latitude cyclones, which is just an area of of low pressure. But those areas of low pressure become stronger as you head into the late fall and then early winter. And um, you can get severe weather with those um, types of storm systems, especially as there's still some leftover warmth and moisture before we get into the hard winter. So that's the secondary peak of severe weather season. But usually we see a quieter stretch September, October, and we usually shift our focus to To hurricanes in which we do expect to be uh, a uh, above average season. Most of the forecasts uh, out there from the different people that put out different uh, seasonal hurricane forecasts are now predicting a above average hurricane season. So um, we're just about to get into the uh, climatological peak of that here in the next couple of weeks.
0: Oh, boy. At a least, at well. least the tropics have been reasonably quiet here in the Atlantic. Yes. So, I mean, it, imagine having a hurricane coming into the Gulf in the midst of all of this severe weather in the central and southern states. So, um, we'll take it. Uh, you know, let, let it be slow. It's knock on some wood and keep that off our off our backs. You said the Q word, Joe.
1: You know what that means. That's, That's right. right. My bad. I say
4: too often. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That means, uh, well, hopefully nothing will happen. We, we don't say that in the ER because that usually means the doors are going to fly open and 16 <laughs> ambulances are going to be out there if it's quiet. Um, well, gee, guys, this is, this is like freaky weather. You know, what worries me is having these kinds of weather in places where they don't usually have it And they may not really be prepared for it, such as states that get it all the time. You know, maybe we can get Becky on next time. She can talk about that. Because, you know, I don't know what their setups are like. Um, A place that doesn't get tornadoes gets tornadoes. Or just like the hurricanes we've had that have gone so far up uh, into the other states and created flooding and all of those kinds of things. That's just not
3: that normal, I don't know. Just well, Sam, I think it's, it's really important to focus, right? Not on the, not on the event that produces the hazard of the impact, right? But the hazard of the impact itself, right? Cause you can have, you know, hurricanes and, and their associated impacts occur in places that, you know, hurricanes might not typically, or the remnants of hurricanes don't typically travel, but that place may regularly deal with, uh, flash flooding and riverine and small stream flooding. Right. They may also deal with, you know, say high winds typically, but maybe those come more as, you know, lines of thunderstorms as opposed to a you know very narrow swirling column of air. That's a tornado. Right. So it's yes, we we it's kind of we talk about the sexiness of the hazards. Right. Those that's what makes the news. But focusing on how do we prepare for for the impacts or what can occur, then it won't matter what type of event generates that impact or the need to take action. We can focus on what we need to do versus what's causing it.
1: And like you've always said, Kyle, you've always been an advocate for paying attention to what's going on to your weather apps, AccuWeather especially, but you know, whatever else your community puts out there to alert people. Right. And what about, what about disaster radios? What do you just recommend on that?
3: Well, Sam, that's a great point, right? Having a, a source of information following a high impact weather or other disaster event is absolutely critical. And what we find time and time again, and this is from our island communities all the way to our communities here in the central United States, is that uh, when, when other communications networks go down, our broadcast media partners, specifically AM and FM radio, they are incredible partners and in helping to and not just being resilient and keeping their broadcast transmitters online and the studio staffed, but sharing that critical incident information and updates uh, with folks because any type of wireless emergency alert you get for weather right it says check local media well that's right uh, that's great guidance and you know typically we're going to go to a weather app let's say but if our you know data and information networks that we typically rely on have failed we need to have those backup methods so having a battery powered uh fm radio is absolutely essential to have in your uh in your preparedness kit and that's not just at home but in your in your vehicle because now some vehicles are now even coming without uh am radio in them as also uh, at your place of work as well right because disasters don't always strike when we're around all of our supplies we may have stashed or accumulated within our home so that's, uh, that AM FM radio battery powered, absolutely, uh, critical and essential for receiving those uh, disaster updates
1: and have a go bag in your car, but that's a subject for a whole podcast. Uh, Dan, any final thoughts from you?
4: I think it's just a good reminder as Kyle was saying there to really think about your preparedness kits and, and, uh, as we head into the part of hurricane season, um, you know, it's, it, no matter where you are on a, in, in a coastal location or even an inland location, we, we see impacts from hurricanes well inland many times. There's many examples of that with flooding, freshwater flooding from rain, like Florence and North Carolina in 2017 or 2018, and uh, many, many years ago, Agnes in Pennsylvania in the 70s. So it's just a good reminder to really take a look at your preparedness kits, um, especially as we get into the hard hurricane season, if you're anywhere along the coast or, or inland, uh, really from the Gulf all the way up the East Coast.
1: Good words. Joe, I'm sure you have thoughts on that. And also, if you find yourself going to Hawaii, please let us know.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll definitely keep you guys posted. Uh, and yeah. and I mean, it just goes to show that you can never be too prepared, right? No matter where you are, uh, where you live, what you do, uh, there's always issues. So uh, be prepared.
1: And don't think it can't happen to you. And that's unfortunately what happens with a lot of
0: people. Well, Jamie. Throwing it back to you. Yeah, and, and I think Kyle had a good good point that it's 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 preparing for the results of these different incidents and preparing for uh, the types of rescues and the types of responses that you can expect given your community's structural capabilities, um, both as a responder and as as a community as a whole, and try to to react to that and be prepared for that um and and that comes back around to you know our sponsorship with uh Paragon Medical Education Group Joe and the team there I know Joe you guys have been really busy and that doesn't mean that you can't schedule more events and more projects for people to uh, have some great training evolutions in their communities how can folks find out more about what what it is you do and how to get something customized just for them
2: uh well no doubt we've been crazy busy Uh, But that's a good problem. Uh, So we uh, we love to talk to folks so we can set up some uh, amazing training for them. They can find us at uh, Paragon Medical Education Group on the Web, uh, Paragon Medical Group on Facebook or always to the disaster podcast or the Facebook page.
0: And now, Joe, you can have a line of cars needing rescues that are all trapped beneath power poles because it could have happened.
2: <laughs> exactly. There's, there's always a new problem to throw in there that you never think will really occur until it occurs.
0: All right, folks. Um, Kyle, where can folks find you if they want to follow what you're up to online?
3: Well, Jamie, folks can find me on all the major social media platforms under the handle WX Kyle Nelson. I'd love to connect with our listeners and continue the conversation on preparing, taking action, and surviving disaster. And Dan, how about you?
4: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WFDepot, D-E-P-O, and also the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Sam?
1: What Dan said, under Sam Bradley, you're Sam Bradley 11, and certainly on our wonderful Disaster Podcast Facebook group and DisasterPodcast.com.
0: Jamie? Yeah, and I'll just reiterate, as I always do, that um, you can find me in, under the handle PodMedic. And, of course, over at DisasterPodcast.com, you can subscribe to the show. So every episode page has subscription links right below the audio player at the top of each page. And uh, you can go there and subscribe using your favorite mobile device and favorite mobile app. So we want to have you get the pod- podcast as it comes out and get alerted when you have new episodes to listen to. So we hope you will continue to come back and do that. And in the meantime, I will just turn it back over to you, Sam. You know, this is one that stroke, struck a little closer to home for what some of us uh, than others. And then other times we've covered incidents like this. But it doesn't mean that it isn't something that we need to be constantly aware of and prepared for.
1: Exactly. And I'm just going to say the same thing I've said any number of times because it makes so much sense. Be prepared wherever you are. Know what's going on. Have the right equipment in your car and your home. You know, like Kyle was saying and Dan, listen to what's going on uh, to your emergency providers. Have a radio. And again, we could spend a whole podcast on that. So just be prepared.